Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story, read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to Jason Duro about his debut novel, Akathar's Greatest Trick. Over the next two weeks, you will learn how much he plans out his novels how he built his TikTok following, and what he sees coming next for his Teshavar series. Demon, scientist, charlatan, or sorcerer. The great Akathar is the most famous stage musician in a realm where real magic is outlawed. Over the past decade, Akathar and his troupe have built a reputation and a home in the dense coastal city of Cluebridge. Every night, he thrills audiences with his controversial performances. Backstage, Akathar hides a secret more dangerous than any of his engineered illusions. Far inland, an ancient and mysterious tyrant dispatches an elite band of mage hunters to crush magical insurrection. When their hunt brings them to Cluebridge, they suspect that Akathar's magic might be more than mere stage trickery. Akathar and his company will have to rely on a cunning heist, desperate improvisation, and the art of deception to save their theater and even their very lives. Akathar's Greatest Trick is the first novel in Jason Duro's epic fantasy Teshavar series. The diverse cast of characters, found family themes, and surprising revelations set in a gaslamp world of magic and trickery make this a must-read for fans of Brandon Sanderson, Susanna Clark, and Aaron Morgenstern. Now, you, so you had the book came out last year, but then you just started the TikTok in January. How did, how did the TikTok come about and how did you get to where you are now? I I think I heard you say you release like four videos a day and you're giving like tips to authors and like how, how did the TikTok presence come about? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, it's kind of funny. I have never been good at social media. I have never uh, known what to post there. I, I have, of course, a personal Facebook and mm-hmm. I have a personal Instagram and stuff like that. And I'm active on my personal Facebook with friends and people that I work out with and stuff like that, just uh, mm-hmm. sort of chit chatting and all that. Um, but as far as um, Instagram, I've never known what to put on Instagram. It's just languished there. And when mm-hmm. I started writing, I got all the typical social things. I got a Twitter for my writing. I got an Instagram Facebook page and all that. And I've never known what to put there. And I had heard about TikTok. I knew that TikTok existed, but I had just completely the wrong concept of who it was for and what it mm-hmm. was at that time. So I just kind of avoided it. And then I heard more and more authors talking about finding success on TikTok and finding mm-hmm. readership there. And I started thinking, well, maybe I should give this a shot and right. uh, maybe I should just see if if there's anything to it. So in January, it was late January, I signed up for my account and I um, was I followed a tutorial thing that I found online that was specifically for authors of how to uh, just sort of set up your account and get started with TikTok, and it made a suggestion for the first video to post, and mm-hmm. so I just uh, followed all that and did it, and um, 
when I first started on TikTok, it was entirely with sort of capitalistic ideas in mind. I was like, right. okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going sell to show more people. books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to show people my books. I'm going to sell books. I'm going to make money and all that. And then when I arrived at, at TikTok, it didn't feel right to me to do that. It felt more like a community kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just trying to, uh, I know all a lot of authors come on and they just try to uh, push their books and they do try to use it just specifically as a promotional channel. Mm -hmm. But for me, it felt more comfortable just to be um, be more natural and be accessible to people and to just try to make friends and uh, get involved in the community. Well, you um, still get those sneaky, like you'll walk across holding your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely do that. I, I will include my book uh, in there just to uh, to try to spread awareness. But at this mm -hmm. point, honestly, my, uh, my intention with uh, TikTok is to just uh, try to uh, build a community of like-minded people and mm -hmm. try to uh, to share interests with people and to help people out. I, I really love helping people and I like uh, being able to see uh, my friends succeed at things. And mm -hmm. so that's that's why I post. Uh, I, even though I have uh, have only been publishing for uh, a year or so and have been like active with that for a long time, I've been studying writing and have been uh, studying the craft and have mm -hmm. learned a lot about publishing. And so. Uh, even if I'm not the most experienced person, I feel like I have uh, some knowledge that could help other people. Mm -hmm. And so I, I enjoy sharing that and I enjoy being helpful. And uh, I've just sort of let that feed into the kinds of videos that I make. And and also I uh, I like jokes. I like puns and yeah. TikTok, uh, the sort of the genre of humor on TikTok is just visual and, uh, and verbal puns all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I have uh, just completely slipped into that. And so I, I enjoy doing the uh, sort of the silly viral sound videos. And then I like mm -hmm. making the uh, the tip videos, uh, uh, giving writing tips and publishing tips and all that. And uh, it's just sort of really, for some reason, it's really synced with me in a way that no social media has before. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I'm doing, I was doing about three videos a day. Now I'm doing uh, at least four videos a day. Uh, sometimes I slip in an additional one or two. But um, as far as, as my growth, I don't know what a usual growth rate is for a TikTok account because I'm, <laughs> I'm new to it, but I, I right. get the impression that I'm growing pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. So like mine, I started, well, the Freya Victoria one, I should say, I started in January and sadly, I, so I've, I started a, a different podcast, a different fiction podcast under a, a different <laughs> pseudonym. Um, but that one, I'm like, you know, comparing, I'm like, all I have to compare it to is my other accounts because I don't know what other people do. Mm -hmm. And so the the Freya Victoria one, now on this one, I, uh, you know, I talk, the, the whole point of me starting the Freya Victoria one was to, you know, get out there as a fiction narrator and to ideally find, you know, fiction authors that don't have audiobooks yet that want audiobooks and mm -hmm. um you know just to like get on there and converse with um people and this one already has more followers than my other account that's, oh, that's been around awesome. for like twice as long so <laughs> <laughs> i'm like well and uh, terrifying terrifying to like uh, and it, I, I imagine it's similar to trying to like pitch a book to a publisher but trying to like pitch yourself as like 
hey, I really want to narrate your book, but like you have no idea who I am, but you should still let me do your book. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I can imagine that. And that's it, it is wild how uh, how unpredictable growth can be on these things mm -hmm. that, uh, that you just suddenly catch on with something and it blows up. I know uh, some people on here who uh, were kind of struggling to get followers and then they would have one particular video blow mm -hmm. up and they would just get a ton of followers from that. Uh, mine, I think, has been more sort of a steady growth at um, it's been um, not just uh, all at once getting a lot of followers uh, from mm -hmm. one particular thing, but um, I think my pace has been a little bit quicker than, uh, than I've seen from a lot of people. But I know other authors on here that I'm friends with that uh, that just have these huge followings that mm -hmm. uh, I, I have no idea how they've gotten to this point. Like, uh, I'm not sure if you know Caffeinated Bookworm. Uh, Nikita mm -hmm. is a friend of mine. She started around the same time that I did. She just passed 20,000 followers. Oh, gosh. And it's, it's just amazing. And I'm also friends with uh, 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 gosh, I'm trying to think who else is somebody else that I know. Just now, Alex Reads Romance has a lot of followers too. Yeah, she's passed uh, five thousand. She and I started around the same time. Uh, we're good friends, and we were uh, kind of tracking along with each other. <laughs> and it's the funniest thing. She uh, she went to a Barnes and Noble, and she found one of the uh, Vampire Academy books there, and mm -hmm. or not not um, Zodiac Academy books there. Okay. And she uh, she uh, had read it in ebook and didn't realize exactly how big the book was. So she took it off the bookshelf <laughs> and sat it on the floor and made a video just of her showing how thick the book was at Barnes and Noble. That mm -hmm. video got like I don't even know I it was well over a hundred thousand views the last time I saw and after that she has just exploded she uh, I've just passed four thousand and she's I think she's around like 5500 now or something so she just zoomed past me <laughs> it's so funny how the different social medias are though like Facebook in my this is totally my opinion and it's pro it could be different but I'm like <laughs> Facebook is like you know, typically older people, but it's like for like your friends and your family and like people that you knew back in high school, like reconnecting and all of that. Instagram is like the here's my not really perfect, but I'm only going to show the perfect part of my life. <laughs> and then <laughs> Twitter is very like because um, like when I started narrating, I was like, what what's the social media that has you know the most authors on it or whatever? And it said like Twitter because it's a lot of like, you know, real quick back and forth conversation kind of mm -hmm. stuff where you can retweet and comment on their stuff and whatever. And then TikTok is like, welcome to the shit show. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of the the mosh pit of the things that you don't want to show on any of the other social medias. And you're going to like change your name. So hopefully your family can't find you. <laughs> and, like, it's just kind of, it, it's, it's a whole thing, like all on its own. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that might be why I have clicked so much better with TikTok because I like being really, I like being uh, authentic and sort of being myself. I, and maybe mm -hmm. that's why I didn't click with Instagram because I, I don't like uh, sort of shining things up and Fake. pretending that everything's <laughs> great. Uh, like on my uh, TikTok, I talk mostly about books and about writing, I, but I've also talked about stuff that isn't great. Like uh, I have anxiety that I deal with. I've talked about that on there and have talked mm -hmm. about uh, just various things like that. So I, uh, I like having that openness. And I think TikTok allows for more of that kind of dialogue and, mm -hmm. uh, and more of that openness. And uh, with Twitter, I just, uh, there's so much, it seems, I mean, I know it's on all social media, but it just has felt to me like there's so much toxicity just readily available on, on Twitter that mm -hmm. it, uh, it has kind of pushed me away. I, I need to get back to Twitter and figure out a way to, uh, to make it work for me. And also the other ones too, I, I'd like to uh, not have just dormant pages on all of them, right. but, uh, but TikTok for sure has felt like the one that I could be the most authentic on and uh, just sort of be like, I'm here 
this is me. These are the jokes I like to make. And this is how I like to write. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how do you, um, I don't know if you're, I'm sure, cause you're over on the, the author side of TikTok where I'm at. Um, mm-hmm. how do you feel about all the, um, you know, con, I mean, there's, since January has been a few controversy things that have gone on in the writer reader world of, of TikTok. Do you have any kind of an opinion on any of that? Or you'd rather stay the the big one right now that I see all the videos on is the returning book thing, um, which has been for several weeks now. I've seen that. Yeah. I I have seen some of that. I, um, it's kind of funny. I never really see the, uh, sort of the instigating videos that that Mm -hmm. cause this, but I see other people reacting to it and I see other people commenting on it. And so I, um, I don't know as much about this one in particular about the book returning thing. Uh, so I, I don't really, uh, but I, I haven't posted a video responding to it or haven't really formed an opinion on it. I, I tend to kind of stay in my little hole over here, yeah. <laughs> over here in TikTok. I'm going to not rock the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There have been uh, there have been some other things that I did uh, comment on previously. There were uh, some other things that came up. Like uh, at some point, uh, someone was saying that uh, that authors should not follow readers on t- on social media. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and there was um, there was something else. I can't remember what the other one was, but uh, with that kind of thing, uh, people were making a lot of statements that uh, I felt were they were kind blanket of... statementing for everybody. Like, yeah, <laughs> just because yeah, that's it... your view doesn't mean that's everybody's view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I did make a video about that where I was kind of responding to it. And I was just uh, thinking that that particular one was kind of turning both authors and readers into monoliths and saying that every author is like every other author and every reader is like every other reader right. and wants the right. same things. And uh, if if a uh, as an author, if a reader didn't want for me to follow them, I am more than happy not to follow them. I'm uh, mm-hmm. I think that everybody should uh, be comfortable and should uh, be able to get what they need and want out of their social media and out of things that they do. Um, but I, I don't think it makes sense with anything really to make a blanket statement like you're saying that, uh, right. that it is supposed to apply to everyone. And I think in a lot of instances, these controversies that come up on social media, it all boils down to one person having an opinion for themselves, mm-hmm. which they're totally entitled to an opinion. They're totally entitled to do what they want to do. But then something, I don't know if it's the nature of social media or the nature of how it gets presented or something, it inflates it to a point that it feels like they are trying to, uh, and sometimes they are, I guess, uh, trying to tell other people that everybody needs to have that same opinion and everybody mm-hmm. needs to be the same way. And it just kind of spirals out of control from there. Right. So I think that's the origin of most of these kinds of controversy things that come up. Um, in general, I try to keep my uh, my TikTok positive. I try to yeah. stay out of that kind of stuff. And I find it's pretty easy too if I just uh, know what the, sort of my values are and what my opinions on things are. And mm-hmm. I, I stick to that and then uh, don't try to uh, sort of push them on other people. Right, right. Well, and that's what happened to the days where you just said, hey, could you please not do this anymore? And <laughs> then they stopped doing it. <laughs> yeah, well, did, did they ever really stop doing it when someone would ask? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know I, I like to live in my happy bubble thinking that everybody's a good person 
And that's just <laughs> not the case. And I know, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a very optimistic person. And uh, my it's kind of funny on my uh, TikTok in my bio, I used to have my uh, currently reading and currently writing. And I took those mm-hmm. down and I put up um, after I started getting more and more followers, I decided I really wanted to put more of my personality into things. Mm-hmm. And um, I put on there, I think it says something like uh, be kind, be generous and uh, have empathy or something like that, mm-hmm. which that's that's sort of just my core value there. And uh, when when things come along that there are misunderstandings between people and when people are getting upset with each other, I feel like there's almost always a way to to have empathy and to figure mm-hmm. out some middle ground between people. And so uh, so I don't get all upset uh, that much. Uh, one thing I did get upset about was uh, there was a video that went around a while back. It was right after I joined TikTok where uh, someone was, uh, they posted a video saying that if you are an independent author and you don't hire a professional editor to edit your book, you should just throw your manuscript in the trash. Mm-hmm. And and that made me upset because that was assuming that uh, everyone who should be a published author has the funding and resources and privilege to be able right. to afford to uh, to hire a professional editor or to do all these things a particular way. Which there's no uh, there is no one set way to publish a book and to be right. an author. It's different for everyone. And so that one did kind of get me a little bit steamed just because I, I don't like for people to uh, to be sort of waiving their privilege and right. sort of trying to push other people down that way. But um, but in general, I think the, the uh, TikTok controversies, uh, I, I just kind of stay on the side and kind of keep my head down until <laughs> until they blow over. <laughs> until it's on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And they just keep my head down for that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly... I plan on having my book edited um, by someone else, but I've, um, I mean, in college, I remember being in English class in college and the the professor being like, you know, we're going to write these papers on whatever she had picked as the topic. And then we're going to like, you know, the students were going to edit each other's papers or whatever. And every time I don't, I don't, this probably says a lot about the students that I was working with, but every single paper that I would write, I would end up in her office afterwards because the student that would, and it was always a different student, but they could never find anything wrong with it. And I'm like, I'm like, I know it's not that there's nothing wrong with it. I just know that it's a case of the student doesn't have enough experience, you know, and I'm not going to say I'm like a better writer than the whole world because that's not it at all. But, you know, just people in a you know collegiate, all they've done is high school writing. They don't you know know what to mm-hmm. look for or whatever. So I'm like, I know like I can write well and I can edit myself well. But I also know that, listen, you know, reading through your own stuff, you're going to miss things. So. Right, right. And even if that's um, I have a family member who also writes. And so, you know, even if it's just him looking through it or I've got um, I have I'm writing my particular book in a Google Doc. And so I have an author that I narrate for that's like reading through it and editing it for me as well. So it's like even in, you know, connections that you've made and people that, you know, when she's not writing because she publishes an ungodly amount of books every year. Um, it's She's one of those that you know just pumps them out really, really fast. But um, I wish I could do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, I'm doing good. I'm like 50 pages in and haven't written in a month. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but at the yeah, end of the it, day, you got to also make sure that, you know, know where you're if you're one of your strengths is to be able to edit your own book. That's cool. That's good. But I'm also of the opinion, don't put out a book that, 
you know has a lot of errors. You just don't want to you know, put either mm-hmm. the effort in or ask somebody for help with getting it done. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And there, uh, uh, while I said there are uh, a million different ways to get into publishing and to mm-hmm. get into being a writer, there are uh, certain standards that I feel like uh, you want to adhere to. I mean, you you can, in theory, publish a book that has a bunch of errors in it. But mm-hmm. if you want to uh, to pick up a big readership and to get the kind of things that most writers probably want to have, then you should uh, have that kind of uh, of uh, professionally uh, or professional looking work, even if it's not right. a traditionally published work, it needs to look like it's traditionally published. And um, I think there is a lot of benefit to having a, a professional editor, an experienced editor to go through and edit for you. And uh, that is uh, is something that uh, I think definitely is beneficial. It certainly is, uh, is something that's an expense. And the longer the book is the more costly it can be so if, right. if you're uh, like in my genre writing epic fantasy that tends to be like uh, six seven hundred pages long that can be super expensive for a first-time writer mm-hmm. and uh, it can be expensive to the point of being prohibitively expensive right and uh, when when that kind of thing happens there are alternatives uh, you can use things like pro writing aid is a really good piece of software that helps a lot with self-editing uh, you can do like you're saying and have family members or friends look at it and read through and uh, let you know things. But um, with with my book that I published last year, no joke, I, I probably read that thing like 40 times before I published it because <laughs> I was so paranoid that there was going to be just one thing missing yeah. or one thing that I, I didn't pick up or that no way nobody else picked up. But um, I think it ended up in pretty good shape. I, I haven't gotten any um, complaints about editing at this point. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I, I'm like I said, I'm only 50 pages into mine, but I think I've read through because, you know, you forget what what happened again? <laughs> so I have to like yeah. go back and because I don't have some like well, you know, super well done outline of what's happening. So I uh, you know, have to go back like what happened again? Or I'm like, you know, writing into the next chapter and I'm like, hey, you know, we're going to have this happen. And I'm like, wait a second. What was like, what did we say about this earlier on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can you can get lost in your own work there. Yeah. So now you um, I totally forgot the question I was going to ask. <laughs> it'll, it'll come back to you <laughs> so you do you said you do voiceover work for your main job and you want to try narrating your own audiobook why um why have you stayed away from audiobooks so far is there a reason or it, uh, it to me at least it is so hard to do that um i i don't typically do um i i do uh, like ads i do corporate work as my usual thing i'll do um i've done everything to from uh, from like tv commercials to i've done the voice at uh, airports doing announcements and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but the hardest things for me are dramatic readings and things with oh, yeah. character work like um, I, I've done some work in uh, animation and video games, but those to me are the hardest jobs and they don't pay as well as the corporate ones I found. So mm-hmm. it's uh, so I kind of stick to uh, for my voice work, the things that are easier and that pay better in my right. experience. And uh, for me, audiobooks are really hard. I, I know they uh, they can pay commensurate depending on who you uh, who you're working with and, mm-hmm. and how it turns out. So I know the pay can be good there, but right. uh, 
when I do a, a, a voiceover gig, I tend to do short gigs that I can be done like in a day with recording it and move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And with audiobooks, that's just not the case. Uh, it's, right. it's, it's much more of a time investment and you're on the same project for a long time. And so just um, it, my perception is, uh, and I, I've done some audiobook work and it has been difficult. My perception is that the work that you do, for example, is, is very difficult work, I think. And uh, so big, big kudos to you for doing it and for making that your main thing because it's not easy and anybody listening to this uh, needs to know uh, how hard it is to do what you do (laughs) yeah i mean to be quite honest when i'm working on especially so the author that i um whose episodes will air just before yours um i finished her book about two weeks ago and she had i think i ended up having to create 30 character voices Mm -hmm. for her book and so like the program that I record in, I had like little sound clips. I would keep like the first sentence that character spoke. I would keep that sound clip and then like label it with their name so that I could then go back like, oh, crap, I don't remember how this person talked. Let's go back and listen to their first sentence again so I could yeah. keep the character you know, dialogue consistent throughout. I mean, the main character is always obviously going to be my voice and the main male character. I have like one voice that I use for the main male character on all of my books. Mm-hmm. But then all the side characters change. <laughs> so Yeah, and that's hard to keep up with. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. that you have to keep those references. That's very clever to have the first sentence there to, uh, to refer back to. That, uh, like have, referring back to that, keeping track of all that, and then having to get back into that character when it's time to do more dialogue, That mm-hmm. that's really hard stuff. And just honestly, I'm a person who, uh, who likes the path of re- least resistance. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so that it's the uh, the reason that I haven't done a whole lot of audiobooks and I've kind of avoided that is just because there is so much of a time investment and a work investment mm-hmm. into it and uh, and with my work that I'm doing uh, with audio I um, have just been doing like I said just sort of the gigs that I can finish in a day and be done and move on to the next one and mm-hmm. that that isn't at all uh, how it is with audiobooks. <laughs> well, and I unlike so because I have a full-time job and other narrators are probably going to hate me for saying this, but there are, um, so the, the website that I use to get jobs, um, there are a lot of like new authors like you that they don't have the funding to, you know, be able to pay for this audiobook. And so I am now I'm very, very selective with the books that I audition for, but there are ones that are your royalty only. Mm-hmm. And so like, I will audition for, and most fiction books are going to be on either the royalty only or very little up front and then royalties down the road. So if someone is saying I can only afford, you know, I, I can't afford anything up front, but, you know, you can make royalties for the next seven years. If I think it's a book that I think it's going to sell and I'm going to enjoy reading it, I will audition for that book. Mm-hmm. If now there are some that are like shorter books. Like I did a couple hour and a half ones at the beginning of getting fiction jobs that like now I I only do like longer books because the hour and a half ones, you know, most people aren't going to buy those. <laughs> so, right. Or at least in my thinking, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I think there's a value, uh, sort of a value concept when you look and you see that something's an hour long versus mm-hmm. like 15 hours long or something like that. 
But I, I, in my, my, um, side of things, I'm very like, I want to know the facts. So I've like already made like a spreadsheet for, okay, on this book, it was this many hours long. And then each month I just have to plug in, like, here's how much I made this month for that book. So I can see like at the end of the day, at the end of seven years, how much did I actually make per hour on that book? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to audition for a book that either I don't like the plot or like I won't audition for ones like yours where it's a male character main character because my male voice it doesn't sound very male so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's with uh, with my book it's it's kind of funny because um with it being epic fantasy I have I think in the first book and definitely in the second one as well there are it has um it has shifting POVs so there are actually like eight main characters that it goes from one viewpoint to another so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a mix <laughs> now that seems so I think the most point of views I've ever seen in a book would be George R. R. Martin's books mm-hmm and those ones, in fact, I saw a post on Twitter today asking how many how many point of views is too many in a book. And I'm like, as long as like, you know, you can clearly keep track of you, the reader, can keep track of like what's going on. Because I feel like an issue with his books is it changes so much that like for me reading it, I have a hard time remembering like what was happening with this character 20 chapters ago <laughs> when yeah, they were yeah. last mentioned. <laughs> Yeah, that that definitely is a concern. Uh, with me, my plots tend to be kind of complicated, and there are a lot of sort of twists and things to them. Mm-hmm. But um, and so I I need to have different viewpoints to show how things are affecting different characters. But mm-hmm. uh, typically, there will be maybe two or three different groups of people that are in the same place, and there will be several characters in uh, or a couple of characters in each of those groups that get viewpoints. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know with uh, with George R. R. Martin's writing, a lot of times it'll be uh, uh, you'll get a point of view from a character that's in one part of the world and then you'll skip to another character that's in a completely different other uh, part of the world then you'll sort of go all over the place and they're not really connected to each other it's sort of separate stories and mm-hmm. with mine uh, they the characters are a little more connected to each other and connected to the central thing that's going on so mm-hmm. i think uh, the way that i do it hopefully uh, is is fairly easy to follow and to uh, go I, I have like uh, each chapter is in a particular point of view and then it'll move on after that to another character and uh, i try to space them out so that you don't leave one character for an inordinate amount of time you get back to that character <laughs> yeah so so ho- hopefully that works out that's the theory at least <laughs> <laughs> i guess i guess you'll find out as as more and more people read it if <laughs> People yeah, are just like, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's been good feedback so far, so I've, I've got my fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you including me in this. This is so much fun. No problem. It was it was fun talking to you, and I look forward to uh, eventually when I have time, I will read your book. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's a long uh, one, so so no pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right now I'm just trying to stay ahead of narration jobs. So. <laughs> I, I definitely understand that and, and uh, keep doing a great job with that. I, uh, I have so much respect for you doing all these uh, audiobooks and everything. That's, uh, that's work that I am not built for. <laughs> well, if, if you need help when you, you know, start getting into yours, feel free to reach out and I'll help you as much as I can. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. If, if I completely uh, stumble and fall and everything falls apart, I certainly will let you know. I'll say, help, I need to hire <laughs> <laughs> I need you as a consultant. <laughs> Right, right. All right. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your Saturday. I'm going to go. It is lunchtime here for me. So I'm going to go get some lunch for me and my kiddo. Um, 
Okay. But I will uh, keep an eye out for your your TikToks. They always pop up on my feed. So <laughs> that's good to hear. I'm I'm glad I'm showing up. But it's it's great to talk with you. And uh, thank you so much for uh, for including me in this. And I will uh, listen out for you. And I'll watch for you on TikTok as well. All right. Thanks. You have a good day. You too. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye bye. Jason's favorite movie when he was a kid was The Black Cauldron. The Black Cauldron is a 1985 American animated dark fantasy adventure film produced by Walt Disney Productions in association with Silver Screen Partners 2 and released by Walt Disney Pictures. The 25th Disney animated feature film, it is loosely based on the first two books in the Chronicles of Pridian by Lloyd Alexander, a series of five novels that are, in turn, based on Welsh mythology. Set in the mythical land of Pridian during the early Middle Ages, the film centers on a wicked emperor known as the Horned King, who hopes to secure an ancient magical cauldron that will aid him in his desire to conquer the world. He's opposed by young swineherd Taran, the young princess Ailanwi, the harp-playing bard Fluterflam, and a friendly wild creature named Gurgi, who seek to destroy the cauldron to prevent the Horned King from ruling the world. Today we'll be reading one of the Welsh mythology stories. Don't forget we are also continuing the original story of Beauty and the Beast on our Patreon. Taliesin In times past, there lived in Penelin a man of gentle lineage named Tigid Vol, and his dwelling was in the midst of the Lake Tigid, and his wife was called Ceridwen, and there was born to him of his wife a son named Morvren Ad Tigid, and also a daughter named Crewir. The fairest maiden in the world was she, and they had a brother, the most ill-favored man in the world, Agvedu. Now Caridwin, his mother thought that he was not likely to be admitted among men of noble birth by reason of his ugliness, unless he had some exalted merits or knowledge. For it was in the beginning of Arthur's time and of the round table. So she resolved, according to the arts of the books of the Ferelt, to boil a cauldron of inspiration and science for her son that his reception might be honorable because of his knowledge of the mysteries of the future state of the world. Then she began to boil the cauldron, which from the beginning of its boiling might not cease to boil for a year and a day until three blessed drops were obtained of the grace of inspiration. And she put Guion Bach, the son of Gwenring of Lenfier in Carignan in powers to stir the cauldron and a blind man named Morda to kindle the fire beneath it and she charged them that they should not suffer it to cease boiling for the space of a year and a day. And she herself, according to the books of the astronomers and in planetary hours, gathered every day of all charm-bearing herbs. And one day, towards the end of the year, as Caridwen was culling plants and making incantations, it chanced that three drops of the charmed liquor fell out of the cauldron and fell upon the finger of Guanbach. And by reason of their great heat, he put his finger to his mouth, and the instant he put those marvel-working drops into his mouth, he foresaw everything that was to come, and perceived that his chief care must be to guard against the wiles of Caridwen, for vast was her skill, and in very great fear he fled towards his own land. And the cauldron burst in two because all the liquor within except the three charm-bearing drops was poisonous so that the horses of Gwindano Garandir were poisoned by the water of the stream into which the liquor of the cauldron ran, and the confluence of that stream was called the poison of the horses of Gwindano from that time forth. Thereupon came in Caridwen and saw all the toil of the whole year lost, and she seized a billet of wood and struck the blind Morda on the head until one of his eyes fell out upon his cheek, and he said, Wrongfully hast thou disfigured me, for I am innocent. Thy loss was not because of me. 
Thou speakest truth, said Caridwen. It was Gwion Bach who robbed me. And she went forth after him running. And he saw her and changed himself into a hare and fled. But she changed herself into a greyhound and turned him. And he ran towards a river and became a fish. And she in the form of an otter bitch chased him under the water until he was fain to turn himself into a bird of the air. She as a hawk followed him and gave him no rest in the sky. And just as she was about to stoop upon him and he was in fear of death, he espied a heap of winnowed wheat on the floor of a barn. And he dropped among the wheat and turned himself into one of the grains. Then she transformed herself into a high-crested black hen and went to the wheat and scratched it with her feet and found him out and swallowed him. And as the story says, she bore him nine months, and when she was delivered of him, she could not find it in her heart to kill him by reason of his beauty. So she wrapped him in a leathern bag and cast him into the sea to the mercy of God on the twenty-ninth day of April. And at that time, the weir of Gwyndno was on the strand between Divney and Aberswith, near to his own castle. And the value of a hundred pounds was taken in that weir every May Eve. And in those days, Gwyndno had only a son named Elfin the most hapless of youths and the most needy, and it grieved his father sore, for he thought that he was born in an evil hour, and by the advice of his counsel, his father had granted him the drawing of the weir that year, to see if good luck would ever befall him and to give him something wherewith to begin the world. And the next day, when Elfin went to look, there was nothing in the weir, but as he turned back, he perceived the leathern bag upon a pole of the weir, then said one of the weir ward unto Elfin, Thou wast never unlucky until tonight, and now thou hast destroyed the virtues of the weir, which always yielded the value of a hundred pounds every May Eve. And tonight there is nothing but this leathern skin within it. How now? said Elfin. There may be therein the value of a hundred pounds. Well, they took up the leathern bag, and he who opened it saw the forehead of the boy and said to Elfin, Behold, a radiant brow. Tell his sin be he called, said Elfin, and he lifted the boy in his arms, and lamenting his mischance, he placed him sorrowfully behind him, and he made his horse amble gently, that before he had been trotting, and he carried him as softly as if he had been sitting in the easiest chair in the world. And presently the boy made a consolation and praise to Elfin, and foretold honor to Elfin, and the consolation was as you may see. Fair Elfin ceased to lament, let no one be dissatisfied with his own. To despair will bring no advantage. No man sees what supports him. The prayer of Sillingno will not be in vain. God will not violate his promise. Never in Gwyndno's weir was there such a good luck as this night. Fair elfin, dry thy cheeks. Being too sad will not avail. Although thou thinkest, thou hast no gain. Too much grief will bring thee no good. Nor doubt the miracles of the Almighty. Although I am but little, I am highly gifted. From seas and from mountains and from depths of the rivers. God brings wealth to the fortunate man, elfin of lively qualities. Thy resolution is unmanly. Thou must not be over-sorrowful. Better to trust in God than to forebode ill. Weak and small as I am, on the foaming beach of the ocean, in the day of trouble I shall be of more service to thee than three hundred salmon. Elfin of notable qualities, be not displeased at thy misfortune. Although reclined thus weak in my bag, there lies a virtue in my tongue. While I continue thy protector, thou hast not much to fear. Remembering the names of the Trinity, none shall be able to harm thee. And this was the first poem that Talisian ever sang, being to console Elfin in his grief for that the produce of the weir was lost. And what was worse, that all the world would consider that it was through his fault and ill luck. And then Gwyndno Garahin asked him what he was, whether man or spirit. Whereupon he sang this tale and said, 
First I have been formed a comely person, in the court of Caridwin I have done penance. Though little I was seen, placidly received, I was great on the floor of the place to where I was led. I have been a prize defense, the sweet muse the cause. And by law without speech I have been liberated, by a smiling black old hag when irritated, dreadful her claim when pursued. I have fled with vigor, I have fled as a frog. I have fled in the semblance of a crow, scarcely finding rest. I have fled vehemently. I have fled as a chain. I have fled as a roe into an entangled thicket. I have fled as a wolf cub. I have fled as a wolf in the wilderness. I have fled as a thrush of portending language. I have fled as a fox used to concurrent bounds of quirks. I have fled as a marten which did not avail. I have fled as a squirrel that vainly hides. I have fled as a stag's antler of ruddy course. I have fled as iron in a glowing fire. I have fled as a spearhead of woe to such as has a wish for it. I have fled as a fierce hull bitterly fighting. I have fled as a bristly boar seen in a ravine. I have fled as a white grain of pure wheat. On the skirt of a hempen sheet entangled, that seemed of the size of a mare's foal, that is filling like a ship on the waters. Into a dark leathern bag I was thrown, and on a boundless sea I was sent adrift, which was to me an omen of being tenderly nursed. And the Lord God then set me at liberty. Then came Elf into the house or court of Gwyndno his father, and Telesian with him, and Gwyndno asked him if he had had a good haul at the weir, and he told him that he had got that which was better than fish. What was that? said Gwyndno. A bard, answered Elfin. Then said Gwyndno, Alas, what will he profit thee? And Telesian himself replied and said, He will profit him more than the weir ever profited thee, asked Gwyndno. Art thou able to speak, and thou so little? And Telesian answered him, I am better able to speak than thou to question me. Let me hear what thou canst say, quoth Gwydno, and Talisian sang. In water there is a quality endowed with a blessing. On God it is most just to meditate aright. To God it is proper to supplicate with seriousness, since no obstacle can be there to obtain a reward from him. Three times have I been born, I know by meditation. It were miserable for a person not to come and obtain all the sciences of the world collected together in my breast. For I know what has been, what in future will occur. I will supplicate my Lord that I get revenge in him, a regard I may obtain in his grace. The Son of Mary is my trust, great in him is my delight. For in him is the world continually upholden. God has been to instruct me and to raise my expectation. The true creator of heaven who affords me protection, it is rightly intended that the saints should daily pray, for God the renovator will bring them to him. And forthwith, Elfin gave his hall to his wife, and she nursed him tenderly and lovingly. Thenceforward, Elfin increased in riches more and more day after day, and in love and favor with the king, and there abode Telesian until he was thirteen years old, when Elfin son of Gwynno went by a Christmas invitation to his uncle, male Gwyn Gwynned who some time after this held open court at Christmastide in the castle of Digway, for all the number of his lords of both degrees, both spiritual and temporal, with a vast and thronged host of knights and squires. And amongst them there arose a discourse and discussion, and thus was it said, Is there in the whole world a king so great as Meleguin, or one on whom heaven has bestowed so many spiritual gifts as upon him? First form and beauty and meekness and strength, besides all the powers of the soul. And together with these they said that heaven had given one gift that exceeded all the others, which was the beauty and comeliness and grace and wisdom and modesty of his queen, whose virtues surpassed those of all the ladies and noble maidens throughout the whole kingdom. And with this they put questions one to another amongst themselves. 
Who had braver men? Who had fairer or swifter horses or greyhounds? Who had more skillful or wiser bards than Melguin? Now at that time, the bards were in great favor with the exalted of the kingdom. And then none performed the office of those who are now called heralds, unless there were learned men, not only expert in the service of kings and princes, but studious and well-versed in the lineage and arms and exploits of princes and kings, and in discussions concerning foreign kingdoms and the ancient things of this kingdom and chiefly in the annals of the first nobles, and also were prepared always with their answers in various languages, Latin, French, Welsh, and English. And together with this, they were great chroniclers and recorders and skillful in framing verses and ready in making Englands in every one of those languages. Now of these there were at that feast within the palace of Melguin as many as four and twenty, and chief of them all was one named Hinnin Vard. When they had all made an end of thus praising the king and his gifts, it befell that Elfin spoke in this wise. Of a truth none but a king may vie with a king, but were he not a king, I would say that my wife was as virtuous as any lady in the kingdom, and also that I have a bard who is more skillful than all the king's bards. In a short space, some of his fellows showed the king all the boastings of Elfin, and the king ordered him to be thrown into a strong prison until he might know the truth, as to the virtues of his wife, and the wisdom of his bard. Now when Elfin had been put in a tower of the castle with a thick chain about his feet, it is said that it was a silver chain because he was of royal blood, the king, as the story relates, sent his son Rune to inquire into the demeanor of Elfin's wife. Now Rune was the most graceless man in the world, and there was neither wife nor maiden with whom he had held converse, but was evil spoken of. While Rune went in haste toward Elfin's dwelling, being fully minded to bring disgrace upon his wife, Telesian told his mistress how the king had placed his master Endurance in prison, and how that Rune was coming in haste to strive to bring disgrace upon her. Wherefore he caused his mistress to array one of the maids of her kitchen in her apparel, which the noble lady gladly did and she loaded her hands with the best rings that she and her husband possessed. In this guide, Telesian caused his mistress to put the maiden to sit at the board in her room at supper, and he made her to seem as her mistress, and the mistress to seem as the maid. And when they were in due time seated at their supper in the manner that has been said, Rune suddenly arrived at Elfin's dwelling and was received with joy, for all the servants knew him plainly, and they brought him in haste to the room of their mistress, in the semblance of whom the maid rose up from supper and welcomed him gladly. And afterwards she sat down to supper again the second time, and Rune with her. Then Rune began jesting with the maid, who still kept the semblance of her mistress. And verily this story shows that the maiden became so intoxicated that she fell asleep. And the story relates that it was a powder that Rune put into the drink that made her sleep so soundly that she never felt it when he cut from off her hand her little finger. Whereupon was the signet ring of Elfin, which he had sent to his wife as a token a short time before. And Rune returned to the king with the finger and the ring as a proof, to show that he had cut it from her hand without her awakening from her sleep of intemperance. The king rejoiced greatly at these tidings, and he sent for his counselors to whom he told the whole story from the beginning, and he caused Elfin to be brought out of his prison, and he chided him because of his boast, and he spake unto Elfin on this wise, Elfin, be it known to thee beyond a doubt that it is but folly for a man to trust in the virtues of his wife further than he can see her, and that thou mayest be certain of thy wife's vileness. Behold her finger with thy signet ring upon it, which was cut from her hand last night while she slept the sleep of intoxication. Then thus spake Elfin, With thy leave, mighty king, I cannot deny my ring, for it is known of many, but verily I assert strongly that the finger around which it is was never attached to the hand of my wife. 
for in truth and certainty there are three notable things pertaining to it, none of which ever belonged to any of my wife's fingers. The first of the three is that it is certain by your grace's leave that wheresoever my wife is at this present hour, whether sitting or standing or lying down, this ring would never remain upon her thumb, whereas you can plainly see that it was hard to draw it over the joint of the little finger of the hand whence this was cut. The second thing is that my wife has never let pass one Saturday since I have known her without paring her nails before going to bed, and you can see fully that the nail of this little finger has not been pared for a month. The third is, truly, that the hand whence this finger came was kneading rye dough within three days before the finger was cut therefrom, and I can assure your goodness that my wife has never kneaded rye dough since my wife she has been. And the king was mightily wroth with Elfin for so stoutly withstanding him respecting the goodness of his wife. Wherefore he ordered him to his prison a second time, saying that he should not be loosed thence until he had proved the truth of his boast, as well concerning the wisdom of his bard as the virtues of his wife. In the meantime his wife and Telesian remained joyful at Elfin's dwelling. And Telesian showed his mistress how that Elfin was in prison because of them, but he bade her be glad, for that he would go to Melguin's court to free his master. Then she asked him in what manner he would set him free, and he answered her. A journey will I perform, and to the gate I will come. The hall I will enter, and my song I will sing. My speech I will pronounce to silence royal bards. In presence of their chief, I will greet to deride. Upon them I will break, and elfin I will free. Should contention arise in presence of the prince, with summons to the bards for the sweet flowing song. And wizards posing lore, and wisdom of druids, in the court of the songs of the distributor, some are who did appear intent on wily schemes. By craft and tricking means, in pangs of affliction to wrong the innocent. Let the fools be silent, and erst in Baden's fight. With Arthur of liberal ones, the head with long red blades. Through feats of testy men, and a chief with his foes. Woe be to them the fools, when revenge comes on them. I, Talisian, chief of bards, with a sapient druid's words, will set kind elfin free from haughty tyrants' bonds to their fell and chilling cry by the act of a surprising steed. From the far distant north there soon shall be an end. Let neither grace nor health be to Melguin Gwynedd for this force and this wrong, and be extremes of ills and an avenged end to ruin and all his race short be his course of life, be all his lands laid waste, and long exile be assigned to Melguin Gwynedd. After this he took leave of his mistress and came at last to the court of Malguin, who was going to sit in his hall and dine in his royal state, as it was the custom in those days for kings and princes to do at every chief feast. And as soon as Telesian entered the hall, he placed himself in a quiet corner, near the place where the bards and the minstrels were wont to come in doing their service and duty to the king, as is the custom at the high festivals when the bounty is proclaimed. And so... When the bards and the heralds came to cry largesse and to proclaim the power of the king and his strength, at the moment that they passed by the corner wherein he was crouching, Telesian poured out his lips after them and played blurn blorn with his fingers upon his lips. Neither took they much notice of him as they went by, but proceeded forward till they came before the king unto whom they made their obeisance with their bodies, as they were wont without speaking a single word, but pouting out their lips and making mouths at the king playing blorn blorn upon their lips with their fingers, as they had seen the boy do elsewhere. This sight caused the king to wonder and to deem within himself that they were drunk with many liquors. Wherefore he commanded one of his lords who served at the board to go to them and desire them to collect their wits and to consider where they stood and what it was fitting for them to do. And this lord did so gladly. But they ceased not from their folly any more than before. Whereupon he sent them a second time and a third, desiring them to go forth from the hall. 
At the last, the king ordered one of his squires to give a blow to the chief of them named Heinen Vard, and the squire took a broom and struck him on the head so that he fell back in his seat. Then he arose and went on his knees and besought leave of the king's grace to show that this their fault was not through want of knowledge, neither through drunkenness, but by the influence of some spirit that was in the hall. And after this, Heinen spoke on this wise. O honorable king, be it known to your grace that not from the strength of drink or of too much liquor are we dumb, without power of speech like drunken men, but through the influence of a spirit that sits in the corner yonder in the form of a child. Forthwith the king commanded the squire to fetch him, and he went to the nook where Telesian sat and brought him before the king, who asked him what he was and whence he came. And he answered the king in verse, Primary chief bard am I to Elfin, and my original country is the region of the summer stars. It know in Heinen call me Merdin. At length every king will call me Telesian. I was with my lord in the highest sphere on the fall of Lucifer into the depth of hell. I have borne a banner before Alexander. I know the names of the stars from north to south. I have been on the galaxy at the throne of the distributor. I was in Canaan when Absalom was slain. I conveyed the divine spirit to the level of the Vale of Hebron. I was in the court of dawn before the birth of Gwyndion. I was instructor to Eli and Enoch. I have been winged by the genius of the splendid Crozier. I have been loquacious prior to being gifted with speech. I was at the place of the crucifixion of the merciful Son of God. I have been three periods in the prison of Ariad. I have been the chief director of the work of the Tower of Nimrod. I am a wonder whose origin is not known. I have been in Asia with Noah in the Ark. I have seen the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I have been in India when Roma was built. I am now come here to the remnant of Troia. I have been with my lord in the manger of the ass. I have strengthened Moses through the water of Jordan. I have been in the firmament with Mary Magdalene. I have obtained the muse from the cauldron of Caridwen. I have been bard of the harp to Leon of Lachlan. I have been on the white hill in the court of Sindvelin. For a day and a year in stocks and fetters, I have suffered hunger for the son of the virgin. I have been fostered in the land of the deity. I have been teacher to all intelligences. I am able to instruct the whole universe. I shall be until the day of doom on the face of the earth, and it is not known whether my body is flesh or fish. Then I was for nine months in the womb of the hag Caridwen, and I was originally little Guion, and at length I am Telesian. And when the king and his nobles had heard the song, they wondered much, for they had never heard the like from a boy so young as he. And when the king knew that he was the bard of Elfin, he bade Heinen, his first and wisest bard, to answer Telesian and to strive with him. But when he came, he could do no other but play Blurim on his lips, and when he sent for the others of the four and twenty bards, they all did likewise and could do no other. And Melguin asked the boy Telesian what was his errand, and he answered him in song. Puny bards, I am trying to secure a prize if I can. By a gentle prophetic strain, I am endeavoring to retrieve. The loss I may have suffered, complete the attempt, I hope, since Elfin endures trouble in the fortress of Tedgui. On him may there not be laid too many chains and fetters. The chair of the fortress of Tegui will I again seek. Strengthened by my muse, I am powerful. Mighty on my part is what I seek. For three hundred songs and more are combined in the spell I sing. There ought not to stand where I am, neither stone, neither ring, and there ought not to be about me any bard who may not know. That elfin the son of Gwydno is in the land of Ardo. Secured by thirteen locks, for praising his instructor, and then I, Telesian, chief of the bards of the West, shall loose an elfin out of a golden fetter. If you be primary bards to the master of sciences, declare ye mysteries that relate to the inhabitants of the world. 
There is a noxious creature from the rampart of Satanas, which has overcome all between the deep and the shallow. Equally wide are his jaws as the mountains of the Alps. Him death will not subdue, nor hand or blades. There is the load of nine hundred wagons in the hair of his two paws. There is in his head an eye, green as the limpid sheet of icicle. These springs arise in the nape of his neck. Sea roughs thereon swim through it. There was the dissolution of the oxen, a Dui, the water gifted, the names of the three springs from the midst of the ocean. One generated brine which is from the Carina to replenish the flood overseas disappearing. The second without injury it will fall on us when there is rain abroad through the whelming sky. The third will appear through the mountain veins like a flinty banquet the work of the king of kings. You are blundering bards in too much solicitude. You cannot celebrate the kingdom of the Britons. And I am Talistian, chief of the bards of the West, who will loose an elfin out of the golden fetter. Be silent then, ye unlucky rhyming bards, for you cannot judge between truth and falsehood. If you be primary bards formed by heaven, tell your king what his fate will be. It is I who am a diviner and a leading bard, and know every passage in the country of your king. I shall liberate Elfin from the belly of the stony tower, and will tell your king what will befall him. A most strange creature will come from the sea marsh of Rianed, as a punishment of iniquity on Melguin Gwynedd. His hair, his teeth, and his eyes being as gold, and this will bring destruction upon Melguin Gwynedd. Discover thou what is the strong creature from before the flood, without flesh, without bone, without vein, without blood, without head, without feet. It will neither be older nor younger than at the beginning. For fear of a denial, there are no rude wants. With creatures, great God, how the sea whitens when first it comes. Greater its gusts when it comes from the south. Greater its evaporations when it strikes on coasts. It is in the field, it is in the wood, without hand and without foot, without signs of old age. Though it be coeval with the five ages or periods, and older still, though they may be numberless years. It is also so wide as the surface of the earth, and it was not born, nor was it seen. It will cause consternation wherever God willeth. On sea and on land it neither sees nor is seen. Its course is devious and will not come when desired. On land and on sea it is indispensable. It is without an equal. It is four-sided. It is not confined. It is incomparable. It comes from four quarters. It will not be advised. It will not be without advice. It commences its journey above the marble rock. It is sonorous, it is dumb, it is mild, it is strong, it is bold when it glances over the land. It is silent, it is vocal, it is clamorous, it is the most noisy on the face of the earth. It is good, it is bad, it is extremely injurious, it is concealed because sight cannot perceive it. It is noxious, it is beneficial, it is yonder, it is here, it will decompose but will not repair the injury. It will not suffer for its doings, seeing it is blameless. It is wet, it is dry, it frequently comes. Proceeding from the heat of the sun and the coldness of the moon, the moon is less beneficial inasmuch as her heat is less. One being has prepared it out of all creatures by a tremendous blast to wreak vengeance on Melguin Gwynedd. And while he was thus singing his verse near the door, there arose a mighty storm of wind so that the king and all his nobles thought that the castle would fall on their heads. And the king caused them to fetch Elfin in haste from his dungeon and placed him before Telesian, and it is said that immediately he sang a verse so that the chains opened from about his feet. I adore the supreme lord of all animation, him that supports the heavens, ruler of every extreme, him that made the water good for all, him who has bestowed each gift and blesses it. May abundance of mead be given Melguin of Anglesey, who supplies us from his foaming mead horns with the choicest pure liquor. Since bees collect and do not enjoy, we have sparkling distilled mead which is universally praised. The multitude of creatures which the earth nourishes, God made for man with a view to enrich him. 
Some are violent, some are mute, he enjoys them. Some are wild, some are tame, the Lord makes them. Part of their produce becomes clothing, for food and beverage till doom will they continue. I entreat the supreme, sovereign of the region of peace, to liberate Elfin from banishment. The man who gave me wine and ale and mead, with largely princely steeds of beautiful appearance. May he yet give me, and at the end, may God of his good will grant me an honor. A succession of numberless ages, in the retreat of tranquility, Elfin Knight of Mead, late be thy dissolution. And afterwards he sang the ode which is called The Excellence of the Bards. What was the first man made by the God of Heaven? What was the fairest flattering speech that was prepared by Liov? What meat, what drink, what roof his shelter? What the first impression of his primary thinking? What became his clothing who carried on in disguise? Owing to the wilds of the country, in the beginning, wherefore should a stone be hard? Why should a thorn be sharp-pointed? Who is hard like a flint? Who is salt like brine? Who sweet like honey? Who rides on the gale? Why ridged should be the nose? Why should a wheel be round? Why should the tongue be gifted with speech rather than another member? If thy bards Heinen be competent, let them reply to me, Talisien. After that he sang the address which is called the reproof of the bards. If thou art a bard completely imbued with genius not to be controlled, be thou not untractable within the court of thy king until thy rigmarole shall be known. Be thou silent, Heinen, as to the name of thy verse and the name of thy vaunting and as to the name of thy grandsire. Prior to his being baptized, and the name of the sphere, and the name of the element, and the name of thy language, and the name of thy region. Avant, ye bards above, avant, ye bards below. My beloved is below, in the fetter of Arianrod, it is certain you know not how to understand the song I utter, nor clearly how to discriminate between the truth and what is false. Puny bards, crowns of the district, why do you not take to flight? A bard that will not silence me, silence may he not obtain. Till he goes to be covered under gravel and pebbles, such as shall listen to me, may God listen to him. Then sang he the piece called The Spite of the Bards. Minstrel preserve in their false custom, immoral ditties are their delight. Vain and tasteless praise they recite. Falsehood at all times do they utter. The innocent persons they ridicule. Married women they destroy. Innocent virgins of Mary they corrupt. As they pass their lives away in vanity, poor innocent persons they ridicule. At night they get drunk, they sleep the day, in idleness without work they feed themselves. The church they hate and the tavern they frequent, with thieves and perjured fellows they associate. At courts they inquire after feasts, every senseless word they bring forward. Every deadly sin they praise, every vile course of life they lead. Through every village, town, and country they stroll. Concerning the gripe of death they think not, neither lodging nor charity do they give. Indulging in victuals to excess, psalms or prayers they do not use. Tithes or offerings to God they do not pay, on holidays or Sundays they do not worship. Vigils or festivals they do not heed, the birds do fly, the fish do swim. The bees collect honey, worms do crawl, everything travails to obtain its food. Except minstrels and lazy useless thieves. I deride neither song nor minstrelsy, for they are given by God to lighten thought, but him who abuses them for blaspheming Jesus and his service. Helician, having set his master free from prison and having protected the innocence of his wife and silenced the bards so that not one of them dared to say a word, now brought Elfin's wife before them and showed that she had not one finger wanting. Right glad was Elfin. Right glad was Talisian. Then he bade Elfin wager the king that he had a horse both better and swifter than the king's horses. And this Elfin did. And the day and the time and the place were fixed, and the place was that which at this day is called Morva Rened. And thither the king went with all his people and four and twenty of the swiftest horses he possessed. 
And after a long process, the course was marked and the horses were placed for running. Then came Talisian with four and twenty twigs of holly, which he had burned black. And he caused the youth who was to ride his master's horse to place them in his belt. And he gave him orders to let all the king's horses get before him. And as he should overtake one horse after the other, to take one of the twigs and strike the horse with it over the crupper. And then let that twig fall, and after that to take another twig and do in like manner to every one of the horses as he should overtake them. And joining the horsemen strictly to watch when his own horse should stumble, and to throw down his cap on the spot. All these things did the youth fulfill, giving a blow to every one of the king's horses, and throwing down his cap on the spot where his horse stumbled. And to this spot Telesian brought his master after his horse had won the race, and he caused Elfin to put workmen to dig a hole there. And when they had dug the ground deep enough, they found a large cauldron full of gold, and then said Telesian, Elfin, behold a payment and reward unto thee, for having taken me out of the weir, and for having reared me from that time until now, and on this spot stands a pool of water which is to this time called Plauber. After all this, the king caused Telesian be brought before him. And he asked him to recite concerning the creation of man from the beginning, and thereupon he made the poem which is now called One of the Four Pillars of Song. The Almighty made down the Hebron veil with his plastic hands Adam's fair form. And five hundred years void of any help, there he remained and lay without a soul. He again did form in calm paradise from a left side rib bliss-throbbing Eve. Seven hours they were, the orchard keeping, till Satan brought strife with wiles from hell. Thence were they driven, cold and shivering, to gain their living into this world, to bring forth with pain their sons and daughters to have possession of Asia's land. Twice five, ten, and eight she was self-bearing, the mixed burden of man-woman. And once not hidden, she brought forth Abel and came the forlorn, the homicide. To him and his mate was given a spade to break up the soil thus to get bread. The wheat pure and white, summer tilth to sow, every man to feed till great Yule feast. An angelic hand from the High Father brought seed for growing that Eve might sow. But she then did hide of the gift of a tenth, and all did not sow of what was dug. Black rye then was found, and not pure wheat grain, to show the mischief thus of thieving. For this thievish act it is requisite that all men should pay tithe unto God. Of the ruddy wine planted on sunny days, and on new moon nights, and the white wine. The wheat rich in grain, and red flowing wine, Christ's pure body makes son of Alpha. The wafer is flesh, the wine is spilt blood, the Trinity's words sanctify them. The concealed books from Emmanuel's hand were brought by Raphael as Adam's gift. When in his old age, to his chin immersed, in Jordan's water keeping a fast, Moses did obtain in Jordan's water the aid of the three most special rods. Solomon did obtain in Babel's tower all the sciences in Asia land. So did I obtain in my bardic books all the sciences of Europe and Africa. Their course, their bearing, their permitted way, and their fate I know unto the end. Oh, what a misery through extreme of woe prophecy will show on Troya's race. A coiling serpent, proud and merciless, on her golden wings from Germany. She will overrun England and Scotland from Lykeland seashore to the Severn. Then will the Brython be as prisoners by strangers swayed from Saxony. Their lord they will praise, their speech they will keep, their land they will lose except wild Walia. Till some change shall come after long penance, when equally rife the two crimes come. Britons then shall have their land and their crown, and the stranger swarm shall disappear. All the angels' words as to peace and war will be fulfilled to Britain's race. He further told the king various prophecies of things that should be in the world in songs as follows. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. 
Be sure to come back next week to hear Julie's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear one of the stories that her mom used to read to her as a child.